Jackson Elias, an occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. My name's Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dorwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And tonight we're going to be talking about spells and scenarios inspired by them. Yes, we have a spreadsheet that is full of every spell the Chaosium have published across all their supplements, uh, or at least for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, just just Call of Cthulhu. Um, we have 752 of the little buggers. Mm-hmm. We have some dice with which to choose them randomly, and we have a willingness to make shit up. If we had the pagan publishing spells and a few trail ones in there as well, we'd probably hit a thousand spells. Yeah, easily. That's a lot of spells, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just a few. Yeah, but, but it's all right. <laughs> Only about 10% of them are real. When do you get to learn those real spells, Scott? When you hit level eight. Should we roll the dice? Yes. Okay, well, let's play really a roulette. Okay, well, the runes have been cast, and Matt is giving me illegible dice. Uh, 356. <laughs> on, on that note, while Scott's looking There is looking no bonus up, ball. That there, is, there is actually a casting the rune spell in there, which is... Yeah! Scene, um, it's run scene masters. It basically takes the casting of the runes ritual that's in the M.R. James story. Yeah. Is there any permutation of words that I can say that isn't a spell on that list? I don't know. Try me. <laughs> I dare not. I, I, have, I have stared at that chart for a long, long time. Let's see what Scott's coming up with. We have command plants. <laughs> command plants! <laughs> the, this one comes from Blood Brothers, which, I mean, is a pretty bloody good place to have it. Uh, this spell enables the caster to control and manipulate plants and cause them to take on semi-sentient life. Uh, yes, this spell may be used to cause vines to wrap around a victim, branches... To grasp at a target, roots to entangle feet, etc., etc. Personally, the first thing this makes me think of is the Alan Moore run of Swamp Thing. Um, because during that run, that's when Swamp Thing discovers that he's a plant elemental and gains control over uh, manipulating plants. And there's also a, a, a villain he comes up against uh, fairly early on who's got the same abilities, who basically turn plants against humanity, hang people from trees with vines. Uh, and I, I seem to remember it even goes down to things like messing around with potentially with the um, uh, the, the floral intestine. You know, the, the, let's try that again in English. It even goes as far as messing around with uh, the um, the flora that live in human intestines. Oh. Um, and uh, so, I mean, there's some fairly horrifying things that happen in there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think having control over plants is perfect horror movie fodder here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the scenario itself. Uh, well, Blood Brothers is a collection of, kind of B-movie horror oh, yeah, um, yeah, film yeah. scenarios anyway. Yeah, no, I just don't remember what scenario this comes from. Ah, me neither. But uh, but I imagine it's used in much the same way. Yeah. It makes me think of Seeds of Doom, the uh, Tom Baker um, story about the guy who gets infected by the, the plant... 
um, oh, thing and starts growing into this monstrous kind of uh, plant man. Okay. Um, for, for those who don't get the reference, that's Doctor Who, the original, yes. not the post Eccleston abortion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I detect an opinion, Matt? Maybe. <laughs> Another chapter of Matt's how, how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the thing that immediately leapt, leapt to my mind, instead of going back to kind of B-movie horror that um, the book used, was uh, The Thing from Another World. Um, nothing at all like um, Campbell's book, um, Who Goes There? But described, the alien in that is described as this giant blood-sucking killer carrot. So I was thinking, you were saying, command, can't plant an animal life, you could turn seemingly nice, benign little fruit and veg into... Killer rabbit, or was Attack of the Killer Tomatoes kind of territory? Okay, that was exactly the premise of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. There you go. <laughs> so it could be affecting people's vegetable plots and mm-hmm. uh, household plants. Well, that's a good name for a scenario, isn't there? The vegetable plot. Oh, <laughs> nice. Hmm. <laughs> well, you've done kitchen sink drama before for Hot War. Yes. So, yeah. So can we come up with a, a premise for a scenario for this? Where what? would we? Uh, how would we use this as inspiration? The killer well, uh, allotment. Well, I guess the first thing to do is decide whether you'd want to do it seriously. I mean, with a spell like this, it would be very, very easy to play it for laughs and go down the attack of the killer tomato route. Um, certainly, if you're calling it something like the vegetable plot, it lends itself to you know fairly farcical comedy. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a far more interesting challenge to try to make something genuinely horrific come out of this. Yes, somewhere between Seeds of Doom and Swamp Thing sounds a bit more like I'd probably more the kind of thing I'd like to play all right. Yeah, I mean. If you had someone who was using this spell for, you know, revenge, murder, power, whatever, but basically using it to enact a series of, of bizarre murders, I mean, you know, I, I guess one thing that I do is, um, you know, have it get people, um, get him to cast it on people as they've eaten, you know, various bits of vegetables and so on, and make the things grow with inside, grow inside them, come out, etc., rip the person apart from the inside. Set this a few years back, and you could be quite topical and make it the evils of GM. <laughs> Not the games master that that is okay. <laughs> GMO. Yes. Yeah, I'd be reticent to do anything based on such dodgy signs, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think going along those lines, you could do something that is genuinely quite horrific. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, one of the scenes of, from I think it's the film The Fountain, in which it's the hunt for the Tree of Life. Uh, one of the scenes towards the end of the film where the protagonist finds the tree, rams his knife into its branch, uh, or into its bark, and this white sap comes out, and where it lands, its plants immediately grow. And, of course, he does the stupid thing of trying to heal his wounds with it and say, and drinks from the sap directly. And the way he dies, he just explodes in this um, carpet of flowers. Mm. So some, something along those lines and seeing all this rupture out of his wound and so on that had previously healed. Yeah, mm. or watching someone with branches from a tree growing out of their mouth <laughs> and, you know, uh, gradually exploding into a fountain, a fountain of flesh and blood and bone <laughs> uh, as this tree grows from within them. Hard to, hard to uh, ignore Shabnigarath here, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely where it's heading. Uh, well, if I remember correctly, with Blood Brothers, the uh, the scenarios in here weren't actually mythos related, mm. uh, but certainly, yeah, the, the, this is yeah, you know, a classic Shipnigarath spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, several several of the spells that were in the book did make their way into other supplements afterwards, so they were going to adopt it into the mythos, as it were, even though they aren't true mythos stories in themselves to begin with. So, with the elements we've got here, how would we actually go about turning this into a scenario? 
Well, I think one thing I always like to consider is where did the protagonist get this spell from? Well, it, it sounds a bit farcical, but perhaps there's some knowledge handed through the horticultural society. But that, I don't know, that sounds a bit... <laughs> no, I, trust, me, I, I, trust me, I've done worse. <laughs> I, 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 I've, I've just written a scenario all about the horrors inflicted by the Croydon and Sutton Cat Fanciers Association. I was just about to say that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, that's not played for laughs. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of quite picturing this as being a nice idyllic rural setting, something like a good green and present, uh, pleasant land um, set out in the probably your farming community perhaps or some almost a midsummer murders type territory well or alternatively uh, what's the that the big biodome that's out in the west country um oh, the eden project, the eden project. Eden project. yeah, yeah. I, how about setting it somewhere like that yeah. where you know you, you, you've got this enclosed environment uh you've got everything that's carefully managed to produce, you know, sustain life as much as possible. You know, what happens if someone goes in there with an agenda to either corrupt that or, worse than that, you know, bring it to some kind of mad, dangerous fruition? Okay, it, does, it does have a lot of echoes of, um, how was it, Scorby's um, house in Seeds of Doom. So the, the large oh, yes. garden that he has in that. Or you go against type and set it in a, a more urban setting. Hmm. There are still plants there, wherever you go. Yeah. It's not so much of a concrete jungle as I thought it was. Well, where is? I mean, yeah. Everywhere's at least got. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose, yeah, if you're set in a very urban community, um, uh, th- then it could be someone who has, you know, got hold of this, this ability, this spell somehow, has perhaps made a, a pact with Shubnigarath and is trying to, you know, bring her life and her power into somewhere where, you know, it would apparently have no home ordinarily and change the nature of a, an urban community. Well, these people have actually been driven into tower blocks and they destroy every plant that comes near because they're trying to get away from this thing. Oh, Because they've lovely. upset the, uh, the plant gods whatever oh yes um, so actually living in this tenement block in the centre of London which is all concrete and anybody that comes near with it, near they're out you see them out there with little uh, backpacks of weed killer they're going around uh, <laughs> destroying every single little weed that grows through the pavement and anybody that comes near with a pot plant or uh, anything like that is uh, berated and sent away but, but you know, there, there's just no escape in the end. I mean, short of, you know, power washing the outside of the building and scraping all the lichen off with uh, paint stripper or something like that, you know, the, 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 it's a losing game. Yeah. Which and is as a great. PC, you end up moving into that that uh, building and you've got your window box and uh, you put your pot petunias, your homage to Douglas Adams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. And the first thing that happens when you move into this tower block is someone breaks into your house and you find, you know, uh, all your potted plants have been killed. Nothing's been stolen or anything like that. Nothing's been vandalised. It's just all your potted plants have been uh, killed. And, and indeed, uh, it's not uncommon for somebody to put out potted plants and for them to just get vandalised and smashed. Yeah. So you wouldn't necessarily... I mean, not, not that they're breaking into your place, but if somebody was on the ground floor and they put out a lot of pot plants, they might get broken up. Yeah. And they, you know, that'd just be a, a forerunner of the uh, the real deal. Yes, yeah, the the, yeah, the day that one of your neighbours turns up and threatens to knife you if you put another fucking window box out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Part part of how I end up um, developing scenarios myself is almost I think of images from that stills from films 
um, playing through in my head. And the one that keeps going through me at the minute is that at some point towards the uh, towards the climax of this thing would be a tree just growing straight through the centre of the um, stairwell, going mm. right up the spine of the building. Mm. Yes, yeah, I, mean, I think you could have quite a lot of fun with that because you know it very much subverts the idea, or at least you know confuses the players to begin with as to who the you know the good guys and who the bad guys are, mm-hmm. you know who you know, they really should be allied with, and of course their you know, their initial reaction is going to be to kick back against you know whoever is interfering with their lives, and of course you know in the process they're they're dooming themselves and everyone else there. Yeah, they're interfering for good reason, damn it. Mm. Yes, I, and, and there's almost elements of um, the protection that you know, uh, or, or the drive towards protection that people would have if they're being stalked by a hound of Tindalos or something like that, and doing mm. you know, increasingly more bizarre and deranged things that make no sense to anyone else. So maybe the the, the control plants. What was the spell called? It's called uh, control plants. Yeah, I mean, maybe this control plant spell is almost like a protective circle against plants coming into the area. Oh, sorry, command plants. Command plants. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can build up to almost a kind of siege thing. Where what have you got in your shopping bag, Scott? Apples. You can't bring those in. Mm. Yeah, they're still alive. Yeah, particularly if they've got stalks and leaves coming out of them. <laughs> well, they have now. It's starting to grow, <laughs> and especially that. Get carrot. rid of it quick. Especially that carrot. What's it doing with its gnashing teeth? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fruit and vegetables are alive when you bring them home. They, it's because they've been picked hasn't yeah. killed them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, God help you if you turned up with a pot of uh, herbs or something like that. A lot of supermarkets sell you know, living, growing herbs. Yeah. yeah. Baby bio. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? <laughs> I can just imagine Horrible building. A, I can just imagine building a pregen for this who was um, like an orchid cultivist. Um, who's sort of growing this incredibly rare, incredibly expensive <laughs> oh, selection yes. of orchids? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm going to a complete rage fit when someone comes in and finds that he's uh, chopped them off at the root. Oh, or, or some, or, or a kid from the mm. uh, the family who moves in who's got an obsession with draw, with uh, growing Venus flytraps. <laughs> I was thinking, um, feed me, Seymour, feed me. The hydroponics in the basement. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. I, I, it sounds like you could do you know quite a, a serious, powerful, uh, and sinister uh, horror scenario out of this, but mm. by avoiding the obvious laughs. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'd actually be quite happy to run that as a convention game. You know what you're going to have to do after we finish this? You're going to have to take back some notes and start right. That's continuum sorted. Or <laughs> <laughs> that's indie concept for next year. <laughs> Right, shall we move on to another one? Indeed. Shall I pass the bowl around? Indeed, pass pass it to the left. Right, come on, attractive fish, come on. Let's go straight over Matt's head. Don't bogart the bowl, Matt. Yeah, it has gone over my head. You've led a sheltered life, Matt. Very. (laughs) Anyway, here we go. Uh, Which one's which? Oh, yeah. Four, zero, three. Lucky for some, 403. <laughs> At least I don't have to page down too far this time. Um, ooh. Enchant Glass of Lang. Oh. Good old oh. favourite. Yeah. That's, that's, that's appeared ever since, as far as, at least in my research, that goes back to second edition, so it probably is in first edition. I think, yeah, I don't have first edition, but I think it goes back a long way. It's definitely in second ed, because I finally brought a copy the other day. 
So, what does Glass of Lang do? Okay. Before so, I enchant it. Uh, it is an enchantment. This magical glass allows the possessor to see in it random visions of other places. The previous owner would inscribe a pentagram in red chalk, presumably for protection, recite a brief verse, and then the glass would show a scene of beings from the Cthulhu mythos. Unfortunately, such beings could also see through the glass to the user's side. Right. So, basically, this spell just allows you to completely fuck yourself. I was going to say, it almost is a... I know there's another one in there which is um, Enchant Shining Trapezohedron, which is in, <laughs> yes. the same, it's in the same four spell blocks as Lamp of Alhazred, and one other one that comes what it is, um, which it does very much appear to be, hey, this is a MacGuffin to help run, your, uh, run, run Haunter in the Dark for your PCs. Because that yeah. pretty much describes what the Shining Trapezohedron does in one form. Yes, yeah, I mean, this is very similar, being that it allows you to see through to other places. Well, it, particularly with this, it allows you to see other entities. Uh, and mm-hmm. With the Shining Trapezohedron, um, if places. I remember correctly from the story, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it produced visions of strange alien landscapes and temples and stuff like that, and this mm-hmm. bizarre desert with a procession going through it, and all sorts of weird shit. But essentially, it starts off, it's like sitting on the sofa next to somebody with attention deficit disorder, with, and they've got the TV remote control. And they're just flicking from one station to another. And then they stop on the worst possible <laughs> bit. Soap operas. Big Brother. And it blows your mind. Yes. But what did you see on the way? Well, except the way it's written, it doesn't really allow you to do that. It, it, well, it um, says random visions of other places and so on, doesn't it? Um, I'm sure there was a word random in there. Oh yes, you're quite right. Yeah, yes. So let's. So it doesn't cut straight to um, the monster. Yeah, it flicks around all over the place. Mm-hmm. So you may well see, you know, well, what could you see? You could see your home uh, earlier that day with somebody you don't recognise in there. You could see all sorts of strange things going on. People that you know doing odd things. And suddenly a star spawn, and then the next door neighbour's house. <laughs> It's almost like flashes of uh, subliminal imaging. Mm-hmm. You don't realise you're actually seeing the mythos monsters, perhaps. Well, except it seems to stop on something, doesn't it? Uh, then the glass would show a scene of beings from the Cthulhu mythos. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to think how you'd actually end up using that in a scenario. Or more, more to the point, how you base a scenario on it. Uh, it's, it's the random part that I would find a stumbling block there. Well, it, there's also the fact that yeah, this, this seems to be something that requires active participation from the user. It's um, so you've either got someone who is desperate enough to use this to search for something, um, or alternatively, you know, perhaps even a way of uh, tricking people into into doing it. Um, it's the fact that the entities can see through. Yeah, I mean, how about if, you know, this all, you know, uh, how about if this revolved around some kind of revenge scenario that, you know, say someone, you know, invited a, a group of rivals uh, to a viewing of something at their home, uh, you know, an art gallery or an, a, an exhibition of some kind, and they made this crystal the centrepiece of it, and it's sort of, you know, you absolutely have to see this, set up something with mirrors, you know, sort of uh, a camera obscura type thing to, you know, say, project uh, the visions from it, and, you know, over 
over a dome in the ceiling or something like that, mm-hmm. and trick people into looking at you know something that A is going to drive them mad, and B is potentially going to mark them to something that is on the other side. Yeah, I was thinking um, the thing that uh, the way the angle I took it um, in that sense, very from beyond in that sense than the plot with Tillingas to kill Crawford. Or was it? No, not Crawford. I can't remember his name now. Uh, it was Crawford Tillingast. That's it. Yeah, was was the guy who actually created the Tillingast resonator. Yeah, he was. He brought he brought someone there to kill him. It's in very much by using yes. the device. So there's the yeah. nice echoes of that. Um, more traditional stance that suddenly leapt from my into my mind was that um, potentially you make the the item itself is intrinsic to the scenario, but make it more about a more traditional monster uh, monster bash. That some a cultist has made this, perhaps they've picked up a tome, learnt the learnt the spell to enchant the glass, used it, accidentally attracted the attention of a hound of Tindalos. That's come through, killed him. Someone maybe breaks into the house, maybe someone finds the uh, finds the glass and uses it, and the same thing then starts happening to them. So it's almost like an aftermath of an event that's already occurred. Mm. What strikes me is it could be used as kind of a seed for a scenario whereby. Um, somebody gets this thing, and the the bit that I really keyed into was the random visions. Yes. Um, so they're, 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 I think if you had this thing which gave you kind of random visions of real places and things that are happening, kind of fairly contemporary, perhaps earlier that day, perhaps tomorrow, um, then it would be quite addictive not to be able to look at this thing. And uh, the things that it reveals to you, you might kind of act upon them in, in, in your life um, in kind of acting on things, information you shouldn't really have access to. So how an individual might take advantage of that in the, in the backstory, you know, you could plot that out. Um, so they've done some bizarre things, but alongside that, you know, they, they get visions of the monster, they become more and more deranged, and then ultimately mm. they die horribly. And then perhaps somebody else comes in and picks this thing up. So perhaps this has happened to a few people, and that's the point that, you know, the player characters get involved and there's this trail of, of, of stuff that has, has led up to it, but they don't know it's this item. Yeah. Um, but, but these people have been behaving oddly and then dying mysteriously, having carried out, you know, quite mm. odd thefts or, you know, whatever. In a nice parallel of what we're doing here, playing for like Relay Roulette, um, I've seen one of the ways that you could have in the... Um, if, if it was, say, it was a published scenario, you put a little note, requires use of Malice Monstorum. Um, roll random uh, random mm. number generated to get the page number that you then draw the monster that they see. <laughs> yes, <from. yes. laughs> the book's big enough, so hey, use it. <laughs> yeah, I, the, the, the other take on this, which just occurred to me while you were talking about the random vision side of things, uh, would be, yeah, maybe, maybe it could even work as a Delta Green scenario, or certainly something you know, set around the Cold War, um, would be yeah if if this were used as you know, something along the lines of uh, the American uh, military's remote viewing program or the Soviet equivalent mm. or something like that. If it were used as a focus for that, if they were trying to gain control of it and just willing to burn through volunteers, you could call it something like <laughs> the men who stare at the black goat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's brilliant. Nice. Yeah, Mr. Dorr, we'd like, we'd like you to sit in this room and look at this. No, don't open the bag yet. <laughs> yeah. we'll open the bag in a we're, moment. We're, yeah, wait wait the until the red light comes on. Yes. <laughs> just, just examine the object for us. Okay, I'm going now. Bye. <laughs> you just hit the door lock, and then the, then the radiation shield come down behind. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you could sort of do a Delta Green thing there as to you know, working out why all these volunteers just go into this room and never come back. Oh, yeah. Put me down for that when you do Cold Walker through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I, I'm using that one now. Don't! <laughs> so, what was that spell called? Enchant Glass of Leng. Enchant Glass of Leng. Leng. Yeah. It's all about the lane. Where the spiders come lane. from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of want... If you're going to have that enchant glass of lane, you want to end up somehow going to the plateau of lane. Maybe the player characters don't go over there. But maybe that's where the ultimate fate of these uh, four individuals that die, they end up there or something like that. Yes. Or maybe they don't die. Yeah? yeah. Maybe there's just something sitting on the other side of the glass that yonks them through. Well, there is the uh, the pharos in Leng with the uh, the creature in its silken mask of yellow that's described in the Fungi from Yoggoth sonnets. I've always wanted to use that in a scenario. <laughs> okay, let's play another round of Relier Roulette. Oh, I see what you mean about these dice. <laughs> <laughs> there's, so a, there's a D8 six, in that. that is six, six, nine, eight. Well, you're right near the end. Six, nine, eight. Can you yeah. take that? Thanks. Six ninety-eight. Oh god, I've got a long way to scroll down now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is Call Arwasa. What exactly does Call Arwasa do? It calls Arwasa. I think it's clues in the name, Scott. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so the description of the spell is it can bring Arwasa on the first night of the new moon. It costs the caster, the caster and other participants a varying number of magic points to call, and the caster loses 1d10 sanity points. The arrival of the deity will cause uh, will cost more sanity points. Appearing, the fearsome Awasa must be fed 100 size or more of living creatures, nom, inclu- nom, 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 nom. <laughs> including at least one human being. Since Awasa's worshippers always provide sufficient fodder, uh, what would happen if they fail is unknown. Awasa is one of the many little-known Great Old Ones. Stats for Awasa appear in the Creature Companion to appear soon. So, um, I mean, in a lot of respects, this is the classic, you know, Call of Cthulhu. You know, summon some beastie, uh, mm-hmm. some big beastie from beyond. You know, people get eaten. You know, bad things happen. Everyone goes mad. Death. I'm thinking the um, one of the last scenes of uh, Cast a Deadly Spell. Hmm. Where um, David Warner's character summons up, well, he describes it as Yogg-Sothoth, but it blatantly isn't um, the the thing that <laughs> appears out of the ground. But, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they couldn't get Yogg-Sothoth to actually appear in the film. He was asking for too much. They had yeah, yeah. terms with his agent. But, so yeah, budgets. And it was only HBO. So. It was his rider was just too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this this thing turns up and is supposed to feed the virgin to it, but by that point she isn't a virgin, and yeah, it goes a bit messy. And and that's exactly the kind of thing that appears to, uh, appeals to me here, which is you know what stands out here amongst all the other you know um, summon spells is the fact that there's something that can go wrong and no one knows what will happen if that thing goes wrong. So yeah, I mean obviously you know what happens is someone sums it up and you know perhaps the people that they gathered together. Uh, as, as sacrifices for its escape or something like that. Or one cow isn't enough. Yeah. yeah. But whatever it is, they cannot meet the requirements of Awasa, and perhaps mm-hmm. you know, that means he cannot be you know, dismissed, can't be contained, uh, something else comes through instead. 
Well, there's not enough to, to there for him to eat, so um, he kind of seeps into those that, that have called him, and they have to go out and eat the uh, mm. the requisite number of size points themselves. Oh yes. Perhaps Shated. they're never satiated. They just have to go out there and start, you know, consuming. All flesh must be eaten. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, particularly if that were contagious. I mean, you could get something that was a bit like a, a zombie apocalypse, except, you know, well, it, it's not necessarily cannibalism or anything like that. It's eating our wasa. Yeah. Well, and, and particularly if they're driven to eat absolutely anything. It doesn't even have to be, you know, organic matter, food, anything like that. I and, mean, you know, your first indication that this has gone, has gone wrong could be, you know, say, you know, stumbling into the village store in this, this local community and finding someone sitting in the hardware section eating all the nuts and bolts. And then one of them gets arrested, put in a cell and just starts eating themselves. Oh, yeah. What, what, uh, who is Awasa? Because I've seen the name, but I don't know. Anybody that is, know? That is a good question. I think, from memory, I think the spell originally appears in the Asylum collection. I think it's a no, but as a great old one. No, I think I think it's a Gribbly that's inherent to one of the scenarios in that collection, but I can't remember much about it. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I don't remember. I but if we go with that 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 premise, then that um, yeah. it's the people that are summoning him, and the spell goes wrong. Uh, there's not enough to. to feed the, the the great old one and he just kind of affects those that have called him as a curse upon them and they you know have to walk the earth carrying out his uh, punishment yeah or, or or if it just has happened within a community well yeah i mean if you wanted to make it a bit more uh, screwed up than that there's a cult operating within a small rural community that's cast this you know it's gone wrong in the way we said but the effect has been, you know, large enough to actually take in everyone within the community, even the innocents there. They've all been affected. And well, it's particularly if, you, like you said, I like the idea you said of it being actually infectious. Yeah. So it doesn't start off affecting everybody, but it, it spreads. Yeah. I, and so, yeah, the, uh, this is leading to outbreaks of, you know, uh, cannibalism, auto-cannibalism, you know, people uh, eating, you know, glass, metal, anything they can get their hands on. We're getting into Shivers territory, really, in a way. Mm. Again, you know, particularly if that's infectious, uh, that that would almost be quite a good scene for a Delta Green, a seed for a Delta Green scenario, wouldn't it? You know, trying to contain something like that. You got Del Green on the on the brain tonight, Scott. Well, I'm just thinking that yeah, that's more you know in their purview perhaps than an ordinary group of investigators. Mm. Well, the, the alternative, you know, if you didn't want to go down the Delta Green route, would be you know if it was an isolated community and this has just started spreading, that you know that's the point at which you know your group of investigators or just the group of characters you're playing is passing through town, yeah. Um, yeah, if you wanted to go for classic horror movie uh, territory, you know, your car breaks down somewhere outside, you go off uh, to the local garage to ask for, for gas or to you know, or to get help with the car or something like that. And you know, that's when you discover, say, someone sitting by the petrol pumps, you know, drinking gallons and gallons of petrol. And I guess there's this... Or, or eating the sand from the fire bucket. One, yeah. of the, uh, one of the potential issues with a scenario like that would be the nature of the infection. So because if... If you set up something which is just infectious and it makes people into kind of zombies, for want of a better, better term, um, well, why doesn't it just infect everybody? Um, yeah. so, well, but maybe it does infect the PCs if they're particularly unfortunate and they just, you know, you just pass them a note saying, you know, 
you're getting pretty hungry. I, and and there's no reason why they have to be zombies. I mean, yeah, we're not talking about any loss of cognitive faculties. It's more the more mm. horrifying if you know the people affected by this are otherwise perfectly normal, you know, um, sane people. Well, you perhaps going steadily insane, living regular but, lives, but just but, but, eating yeah. more and more bizarre stuff and greater quantities of it. Yeah. Yes. I'd have it as an area effect that if you wanted to avoid the infectious side of things and getting into the mechanics of it, so that anyone that walks into the area of effect of Alasa um, maybe makes them like an opposed power roll, for example, to try and withstand it. Mm-hmm. They have to make it every day, for example, the longer they remain in the area or every hour. And then you come up with a random chart that you roll on or just pick something to see how bad the how bad it manifests yeah. I mean even epidemics don't kill everyone mm-hmm. they don't you know, not everybody gets infected yeah exactly I think also it's a good example a good chance to break out something break out um, use something like the table and break today <laughs> uh, so, uh, anything from good end of the spectrum to bad end of the spectrum so yeah for those who don't know break, uh, break today is an unknown army supplement a fantastic one um, where you eat a hamburger and you can have anything from become a god to somewhere uh, to spontaneous combustion somewhere in the next thirty-three minutes. Uh, well, I, I'm going, 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 going back to this idea of the town. I mean, yeah, if you wanted to make it really messed up, then you know, we've got the stipulation that one of the sacrifices has got to be human. I mean, let, let's say that it's just something as simple as you know, our is going to be there until someone gets eaten. That yeah, you know, you know, a living person has got to be devoured in their entirety you know, before he goes away, and yeah, you know, that that that's actually pretty horrific, particularly if people begin to realise it that they're eating all the yeah, you know, they, they've eaten all the food in town, they're you know beginning to chew the woodwork out of their home and so on. But this is going to go on until they find someone in the town who are they willing to eat alive? So that, again, images as I tend to flash things in mind, it's got to be, we are now devouring the body of Christ in the church. <laughs> as <there> yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Let's roll them bones. Let's roll. Okay. 766. Doesn't go up that far, does it? I don't think it does. No, it's no, not. 753 is the last one. Okay, well, let's roll again. Oh. So close to almost gather the abundance. Roll in again. Well, actually, no, that's a good point. As what? we went off the what? edge, as we went off the end there, I think we should truncate to seven hundred fifty-three. <laughs> no, because that gives us a like a two hundred and fifty chance of getting the last spell. Yeah, Which, <laughs> considering the last one in here is gather the abundance of the sea. <laughs> Paul, Paul, what's rolling? Oh, roll again. Right, what have we got? 753. <laughs> we have 657. 657. Mm. That is... Yes, still on the chart. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like 100 left after that. Yes. <laughs> okay, we have one from Ramsey Campbell's Goatswood. And it's the Sama ritual. Oh, I've used that in a scenario. <laughs> uh, excellent. Um, well, part I, of I, it. I, I assume I'm pronouncing it right because there are a lot of A's in yeah. Sama. Uh, this is sounding promising. It's more Sama. Sama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the Sama ritual. Yeah, split into multiple parts. Mm. 
but by means of a complicated ritual, it's fucking complicated to say, um, this spell creates a protective barrier, effective against minions of the outer gods and the great old ones. By inscribing the eight signs of the Sama ritual on the ground within a chalk circle, a magical barrier is created through which no members of the greater or lesser races of the mythos, or any mundane supernatural entities, vampires, zombies, etc., may pass. The Sama ritual uh, requires about an hour and a half to cast, half of which is spent saying Sama, <laughs> and the sacrifice of six points of power. No sanity points are lost during the casting of the spell. The magical circle created is large enough for up to eight people and lasts for 24 minus 2d10, sorry, 1d10 hours. The Sama ritual has a second use. By inscribing the first and eighth signs of the ritual and connecting them with three straight lines, a doorway or other passage may be sealed off from members of the greater or lesser mythos races or mundane supernatural creatures. I love that phrase, mundane supernatural creatures. What a great oxymoron that is. Um, This shortened version of the ritual requires only a few rounds to cast and costs two power. No sanity points are lost during the casting of the spell. A passageway so enchanted remains so until one or both of the Sama ritual signs are removed. Outer gods and great old ones are unaffected by the Sama ritual. This, the first thing that springs to mind here is the end of The Devil Rides Out. Yeah, yeah. I've got all of Wheatley's stuff, but I've never read it. When they're in the oh, circle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 yeah I mean, the, 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 last, the last act of the film uh, version of it, I, I don't think I've ever read the book, but the, the last act of the, the film version takes place entirely inside a magical circle where uh, various cultists are gathered to protect themselves against a magical attack that is going on um, at the hands of a group of Satanists. I have seen, I've seen the film, actually. Yes, I remember yeah, it. It's Richard yeah. Widmark who plays it in the film, I think. I think so. Yes. I, I was getting confused with to, to the Devil, the Daughter. I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, it is exactly that. It's them spending the whole night inside the circle under assault from you know, these very satanic forces. And it, it's, it's a really tense thing, you know, because uh, while they're under no direct physical threat. I mean, the entities cannot pass the barrier. They're showing them horrific things, they're tempting them out, they're screwing with their minds and stuff like that. And I think you could have a field day. Um, just, just because you're sitting safely on the, you know, behind the circle doesn't mean your sanity's not going to get blasted. There's your start of the scenario. Here's your characters. Yeah. Right. You've just finished the ritual. You've just closed the circle and started chanting. <laughs> Brilliant. And then you just start hitting them with things. Yeah. And, you know, because there's all sorts of weird visions and, uh, you know, maybe they don't actually know if they've broken the circle or if they, you know, when it's actually finished. And Well, particularly you know, if they're having bouts of insanity. Yeah, the absolutely, yeah. Delusions. If they see monsters yeah. and go insane, then... Um, yeah. Are, are they still inside the circle? Have they lost their minds completely? You know, they've been drawn within some vision. And again, and again you know, this is stopping entities going across. That doesn't mean that there isn't going to be some cultist, you know, on the other side who can cast spells that, you know, are going to directly affect them across the circle and, you know, again, screw with them and change them or do horrible things. Yeah, rather than going with fresh inspiration, so I have used this in a, in a scenario of mine. Um, Trail of Cthulhu has a slightly different take on it. Um, 
in which each each of the different lines has a different purpose. So, but very much this, um, it's like connected with a pentacle of planes for summoning and binding Daloth and so forth. Um, I used it in conjunction with that it was part of the design of a, um, a house built on sacred ge- uh, sacred geometric principle, and that it was built as a um, a kind of supernatural equivalent of a hot cell. So that if there'd um, been a radiation leak in a nuclear power plant, the hot cell is where the all the material is stored. So it becomes like an off, completely off limits. In case it's in concrete, no one ever goes in there. Um, exactly the same affair in this scenario: that something, something is basically the shit has hit the fan. Um, the ritual is cast on the place to completely seal it and make sure that what's in there can't get out. Mm-hmm. Of course, hapless bumbling investigators, as a paranormal investigative TV program, go into this supposedly haunted house and break through the line. Nice. And let um, let in, let out what is stuck inside. Well, that that's kind of um, made me think that if I don't know, some degree of a blend of the two and a bit of Delta Green in there as well. Um, it's, con- it's catching. It's it is. Out. It is. <laughs> infecting me with his Delta Green. Um, so, so they start off in the protective circle, and um, you know they don't really know what's real and what isn't, and um, maybe you can have some people turn up that they know, but are they really there or not? Mm. Um, and then um, you know, strange things are happening, and. Um, and then throw in a bit of wreck, and um, you know maybe eventually they do break the circle, and the whole building has been quarantined by Delta Green because there's occult rituals going on in there, and there's monsters running around. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and and also, you know, what if you know in the midst of all this, I mean, particularly if you know you're not the one who casts the circle, or you know, there's one say one person who casts the circle, few other people they're protecting who don't really know what's going on. What if there's something trapped within the circle with them as well? You know, if it's you know encasing a whole building, you know, they've managed to keep most of it out, but you know, is this thing that's prowling around just one of their delusions, or have they actually <laughs> trapped something in there with them? What or just trapped it in the circle with them? Yeah. Be- being being the devious and nasty GM that I am, if I was making this as a convention pre-gen character game, I'd make the thing one of the PCs. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's the thing in a magic circle. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, particularly yeah. If it is, you know, as you described, a fairly big one that encompasses a building, it it can be it can be huge. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's no there's no limit on size in the Trail of Cthulhu version. Whoa. It just gives costs for extra size. Again, then, you know, sort of going back to small town horror, what if someone's casted and actually trapped an entire village within? Like a circle in a spiral. <laughs> like a wheel within a wheel. wheel. My name for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, go set it in Avebury. Yeah. Ah, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Yes, for, for you know, if anyone doesn't know, Avebury is a real town, a real village in in England, that where a big chunk of it is actually built within a Neolithic stone circle. And Scott runs uh, Spirit of the Century for us there. Yes. Physically. Yeah. We went out, we did a road trip to the place and then got some rather odd looks for, for rolling dice in a ditch. <laughs> I don't, you get a lot of strange people there. Yes. I've spent a while there. I'm not saying I'm strange. There were stranger people there. Uh, then there's a big circle of the ditch around it. Yeah. Yeah. I think circle with them too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Could have in fact, fun with that on, one. on one holiday there as a teenager, I spent the night in West Kennet Longbarrow playing Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> West Kennet Longbarrow being this Neolithic burial mound uh, just up uh, an avenue of stones from Avebury itself. Mm-hmm. 
Because uh-huh. it's Silbury Hill, isn't it? Mm. Silbury Hill is just across the road from West Kent at Long Barrow. Yeah. Uh, Silbury Hill is just weird. Um, it's this perfectly conical hill, uh, artificially made, that contains a structure buried underneath, which is sort of pyramidal, uh, made of chalk, um, and with a, a long shaft down the middle, down which offerings were dropped. Mm. Uh, it's supposed to be the oldest and largest Neolithic site in Europe, isn't it, from what I remember? No, it wouldn't surprise me. Mm. Or as a guy that once gave me a lift assured me, an orgone accumulator. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it's it's obviously then, you know, providing the the magical power for the the ritual of Sama that actually contains uh, Avebury. And whatever is contained within the bounds of the circle around Avebury. Yeah. This sounds like a scenario I want to write. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, if it's just within the stone circle, then actually most of the village isn't within there, but it can at least go to the pub. I had a very bad ploughman's lunch in there once. Yeah, it's not the greatest pub. It's the, the Red Lion. Yeah, mm. it's, uh, there was a huge biker crowd outside from I remember when we went. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah so there has been a number of times I've been there. Mm-hmm. We seem to be digressing from Sama. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it seems like there's lots of stuff you can do with that. Some stuff that you have done with that, Matt. Yes, I have done. That's. Uh, I hope that should be out fairly shortly, actually. Yeah. Now that you spoiled it completely for everyone, <laughs> I haven't told them all the titles, <laughs> so it's all fine. <laughs> right. Shall we do one more then? Three hundred and eighty-five. Three hundred and eighty-five. Yeah. Um, this could have potential 385 is bind animal from masks of Neolithotep oh yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just say how disappointed that I am that you did not uh, roll 387 what's that lobster charm oh so close <laughs> so close <laughs> so oh. so no we, 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 we could always add two on <laughs> but we won't. <laughs> bind animal spells, e.g. bind driver ant column, bind green mamba, bind leopard, bind monkey spider and bind rat, work just like the binding spells described in Call of Cthulhu. However, there are, here are no corresponding summon spells. The bind driver ant column uh, spell works uh, on an entire ant swarm. The other spells work on a single creature at a time. Bind spells working on other native animals might exist for African witch doctors, Amerind medicine men, and other magicians of long-established cultures may possess corresponding spells. The commander creature must be able to comprehend and perform the command. To instruct it to fly to Mexico has no meaning to a raccoon, and the instruction kill Jonathan Kingsley only baffles tarantulas. They have no way to identify any Mr. Kingsley. On the other hand, a command such as bite all nearby humans could be attempted to buy any creature. Wait a minute. How do they understand that? But they don't understand, you know, fly to Brazil and bite Pedro. <laughs> Poor Pedro. Sorry, <laughs> right, he's in Iceland. How, how, do they, how do they understand some human words and not others? Well, no, it's, it's the concept of what they refer to. Yeah, it's, it's not that they don't understand the command that's been given to them. It's that they've got no concept uh, of what who Mr. Brazil? Kingsley is or what Mexico is, but they do understand what humans are. There is, 
<laughs> just to finish it off, though, just to you know, ride your point home a bit here, there is plenty of room for confusion and error in applying bind spells. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I mean, the, the first thing that occurs to me here is that, you know, the, you, you've got the bind bit, but they says there are no corresponding summon spells. Well, that's not true. You can summon lobsters and you can attract fish. No, you can't. And, 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 and now you can bind them as well. So like, this is the perfect complement to attract fish. It, it is the bind spell that was missing. So, that, so you can attract your, your school of halibut to you and then you can bind the fuckers. <laughs> You can get them to do your will, your halibut army. Got <laughs> <laughs> to see the um, the parody of Apocalypse Now of the uh, well, Ride of the Valkyries as they're kind of dancing out of the way. And it's all the more terrifying when you deal with lobsters. <laughs> <laughs> Really, they can make a full-blown pincer movement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I mean, yeah, attract fish aside. This is classic horror movie fodder. Um, you know, there have been God knows how many horror books and you know, uh, horror films based around killer animals and groups of killer animals. So, yeah, you know, this this just gives you a pretext behind you know any of them. You've got a motivating human intelligence. Um, and you can come up with you know any motivation that fits your know, revenge power plays. So, what motivation might they have for trying to uh, control these animals? Um, well, pretty well any you know. terror tactics. Um, you could use them as spies if the um, if the animal was intelligent enough to relay back the information that they. Well, we could have a we could have a mythos animal farm. Well, the well, the animals are kind of commanded so often they kind of, you know, it implies they they almost gain some kind of sentience. Yeah. Maybe they, they overthrow their master. Well, uh, or, or at the very least, I mean, if you cast it enough times and the animal begins to know your will, then it certainly becomes something approaching a familiar. Almost um, island adopt Moreau territory in a way. Yeah. Four tentacles, good. <laughs> <laughs> One tentacle. Ah! <laughs> Are we not men? No, you're halibut. <laughs> <laughs> or if you wanted to do something that was a bit more bizarre, uh, how about having uh, this fall into the hands of, say, some animal rights activists, some fairly extreme animal rights activists, right. who start, say, using it uh, on a farm to, as a protest uh, against you know, the, the treatment of livestock? The battery chickens revolt. Mm. The cows will suddenly stampede and run down the uh, run down the farmers. Things yeah, that could be things I'm that could be. I'm thinking kind of twelve monkeys here a bit with the with the, with the animal rights group. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. I, mean, it's I so can't remember. I've seen it. Uh, so, uh, Brad Pitt's character is part of twelve monkeys. Was um, the symbol for um, the the kind of animal liberation um, um, oh, yeah, group well, that was well, setting the animals free from the zoo. Oh yeah, the circle of the monkeys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, the thing that sprung to mind for me, P.O., as I was saying it, was uh, the Clive Barker story from Books of Blood, uh, Pig Blood Blues, uh, set in a borstal. And uh, the basic premise of it is that um, there's one of the kids, um, I, I seem to remember a fairly psychopathic bully, uh, who um, ends up dying and his spirit possesses a, a pig in the farm 
that that they have as part of the Borstal, uh, who you know starts um, just doing more and more horrific things to the other kids there, you know, including eating them. Hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, substitute you know a blind animal for possession, uh, and he could do something fairly nasty involving farm animals, particularly hmm. pigs. Yeah, I mean, I keep coming back to the idea of the spell actually being used again and again on the same animals and then mm. taking on some sort of sentience or kind of human attribute. It's almost a brown Jenkin kind of effect yeah. if you well, do, do well, it t- on, t- on t- t- even Perhaps even taking on human physical features. Well, brown, yeah. brown Jenkin, yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. That could be how the thing was made. Yeah, there you go, it could be. Yeah, yeah. if we were talked about it being like a familiar. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Imagine that being dubbed with, say, a snake. Mm. That would be quite disturbing. Think of other random animals you could have weird human attributes on. Well, I mean, if you wanted to go down the classic familiar route, have it with a cat. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then you're starting to get into uh, Louis Wayne territory then. <sighs> yes. Mm-hmm. So we're getting a kind of a, a concept of something that might be done, but I'm not, still not quite seeing a scenario. But. Uh, well, I, I mean, I certainly I think, you know, basically, you know, say if you've got. Um, Again, for a convention one-shot or something like that, where it's set on a, a farm where the uh, the investigators in it are all you know people who are working on the farm, uh, and you know the, the animals are beginning to act more and more strangely. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it turns out that one of the new hires on the farm is actually an animal rights activist who's come in to you know try to disrupt. Uh, to try to disrupt the workings of the farm by you know driving the animals to rebellion. Of course, there's a sanity cost potentially. In fact, is there a sanity cost on casting this? Um, I'd guess there is. There yeah. usually is. On yes, such yeah. So, so you know, obviously, every time you know he or she is casting it, is having an effect on the mind. So perhaps the you know uh, the, the the effects you know or what the animals are doing is just getting more and more deranged and dangerous. That it's starting yeah. out as as simple warnings and then escalating into something really quite horrific. Mm. Particularly as the animals themselves start changing as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe the relationship between between the the people and the animals starts to change as well. Mm. Yeah, I can start to see that could be a yeah. premise. Yeah, because that'd be a nice, short, kind of visceral, uh, potentially anyway, um, scenario. Yeah, yeah, and it's something you'd want to probably, you know, have have a few, you know, perhaps play it out with a a fairly strong opening scene and a, you know a little bit of build up, but then you know before there's too much of a chance for you know the. Um, the, 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 the investigators say, right, we call Defra or, you know, shoot all the animals in the head and burn their corpses or something <laughs> like that. You know, just have some kind of isolating event that, you know, then escalates things. That, you know. Well, I think structured scenarios such that they don't, uh, what they encounter are the people, perhaps, but they won't, they're not going to think, oh, it's the animals. Yeah. You know, so I think when, when you're coming up with a, um, an inspiration for a scenario, the, the place where you start, I mean, this is very much how I approach things, the place where you sort of start, um, you might kind of build on that and build on that and build on that. And actually where the PCs come in is quite a long way removed from yes. your starting point. So what they're, you, you know, you've, you've moved down the line quite a few places and then perhaps the PCs are coming in 
and it's quite a long time before they make the connection with your original seed of it being the animals. Yes. And that's kind of how I'd see this one. Yeah, yes, yeah. But, you know, I'd also be you know, inclined to try to make whatever the climax is, the you know, the third act, if it's a film or something like that, uh, something that, you know, is, is very time-limited, intense... Uh, that I mean, you know, the, the the classic thing would be, you know, a, a, some act of sabotage or something like that. You know, in Jurassic Park mode or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some act of sabotage that perhaps kills the power to the place in the middle of the night, and um, yeah, and and forces people to deal with what was already a fairly dangerous situation under suboptimal conditions and time pressure. In the image of walking into one of the um, cattle pens. Then finding all the animals staring at you in a line, and at the end, uh, sat on top of like a large bucket or something, mirroring a throne. There is this like Napoleon pig type figure <laughs> yeah. that sat there waiting, <laughs> commanding his troops. I think something else that's come out of this to me, Matt, is that you think very much in images. Yes, yeah. As you, as you were going through these um, ideas, you'd, you'd kind of say, "I've got the image of this thing," and you'd paint. You'd obviously got the picture quite clearly in your head. Yeah, it's one of it's that's how one of the moments of inspiration I have is I tend to think things as pictures and images, like mm. say stills from a film, and think if if it's a striking image that, that I like and that kind of grabs my attention, that's exactly the kind of thing that I hope other people will latch onto and go, that looks good in a scenario, mm. and it's then something that will be memorable. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So not can't really think I do that. Um, no, I, I do that sometimes, but but, but not consistently. Mm. I mean, it's it's more, not so much a question of I look for those images. It's just every now and then I'll get one of those, and I think, well, I must do that. When when I'm visualising a scenario, I tend to see it more in terms of perhaps you know one big scene or something like that. You know, particularly if it's an opening scene, something that really sets up a problem. I'll tend to see it in terms of a problem that's got to be dealt with and can't be ignored. And I'll tend to see kind of the relationships, different factions or different uh, complications in there, almost as you know, as a diagram, almost like force lines butting up against each other. And, and that's how I visualise it all. So that's structurally rather than so yeah yeah. But I say definitely for me, it's like. Um one of the things that uh, we as writers do for um, certain scenarios of writers, we come up with art briefs um, so that we get an input into some of the art that goes into the scenario. Um, it's something that's kind of really developed since then is that I realised that actually, yeah, there's, there's a hell of a lot of moments where I can think like, this is the archetypal image of this scenario, this is the one for this scenario, and so on and so forth. I, whereas I find that the hardest part of writing stuff. <laughs> and sometimes I end up... Um, What's one of the first things I do is go to the kind of the art brief file that I've put down, and I do a description of right. This would make a good full page um, opening shot in the mm. scenario um, for the introduction to the text, etc. Yeah, no, I find that there's a couple of images like that from the text, but most of the time I'm just sitting there scratching my head, going, mm, no idea. Yeah, I find when I'm doing those, I've kind of almost got to really switch rails in my thinking, and. It, 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 um, it doesn't come very easily, and if I'm thinking about the scenario, then that doesn't really come to me. I have to kind of, you know, change the way I'm thinking to a sort of more visual way of thinking, I guess. Well, yeah, more differences. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting how different people um, approach scenarios differently. And I mean, we each, unless you discuss this kind of thing, has a tendency to kind of think, yeah, you know, my way is the way that everybody must do it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Yeah, um, no, I've, I've never believed that. I've just believed that my way's the only right way. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, I use, definitely use the filmmaker's lens in that sense. I think that's probably enough to be getting on with. I mean, we've got a, a few good scenario seeds there. But um, we didn't touch uh, Charm Lobster. I'm disappointed <laughs> with my dice. Don't again. touch the lobster. Yeah. We save that for you, the listener, to come up with a good scenario for yeah. that, uh, that particular one. Yes, I mean, yeah, if you can find us on social media, and we'll tell you how to do that in a moment, um, or reply to the... Build up the forum. suspense, Scott. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got to make it interesting somehow. Um then, yeah, perhaps you can share your ideas on how to t- build scenarios around a trapped fish and charm lobster. Audience but... participation! It rocks! <laughs> <laughs> Our main website is blasphemoustomes.com. Uh, you can find links to all the back episodes of the podcast there, uh, plus the other random shit we post. Um, we have a Facebook page uh, where we are the good friends of Jackson Elias. Uh, we have a Google Plus community where we're the good friends of Jackson Elias. Uh, we have a Twitter feed where we're the good friends of JE, that's all one word. Um, and we have Tumblr, which we've never done anything with and just ignore it. Shh, don't mention the Tumblr. <laughs> um, and I think that's it. Have I missed anything? The YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah, the YouTube, where we're the good friends of Jackson Lies. You know, if you go to blasphemoustomes.com, there's links to all these other things here. Scott's just wasted, wasted about two minutes of your life. <laughs> wow. I, I've wasted a lot more than that, trust me. <laughs> oh. uh, so, well, we hope this has been a, a useful episode to give you some ideas for scenarios. It's given me a few ideas, so... Yeah, yeah, so I think we should go off and write these things up now. Yeah. Actually, let's not tell anyone about these. Yeah, let's not put this episode out <laughs> at all. You might hear this in 2016, you know, <laughs> after <laughs> we've written. Well, that about wraps it up, so it's good night from me. Cheerio from me. And farewell from me. <laughs> <laughs>